Welcome back to Activist Class, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Um, my name is Chrissy Shimizu, and I'm here with Speck and Arika. We are still covering COVID-19 and our city's response to it. This week, Governor Inslee declared the stay home stay healthy order and closed all non-essential businesses. But even before that, we saw the toll it was taking on our community and particularly our community members um, in the restaurant industry. And so today we have on as our guest, Melissa Miranda, the chef owner of Musang, who's recently transitioned her business into um, a community kitchen. And she'll be telling us more about that. Uh, how about we kick it off? Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, um, where you grew up, and what you do? Yeah. Um, my name is Melissa. I am the chef owner of Musang Seattle and Beacon Hill. Um, we are a Filipino restaurant that um, just opened in January. Mm. Uh, we originally were a pop-up for about four years, um, starting in Beacon Hill and then we did pop-ups in the CD, in the International District, and in Capitol Hill. We've been open now for two months, and it was really, it was really great. Um, it still really is great. It's just that you know everything that happened with COVID, we just had to kind of pivot over the last week and a half. So we pivoted into a community kitchen space last Monday, um, and it's kind of been like a day by day process. Um, we temporarily closed the restaurant, hopefully based on how long this is going to take, but we have plans to reopen. Um, it's just been a really big learning lesson, I guess, being in this industry and like how how much it's affected our small business and then, you know, larger businesses all across the country. So y'all still have the brick and mortar spot up on Beacon? Yeah. Um, so we are operating out of the brick and mortar uh, where Musang currently is. We went down the takeout route actually for like a day because that's kind of what a lot of businesses are doing right now. But I think like a little bit more background on Musang is like it's a community driven restaurant. So Mm. a year ago last year, we um, ran a Kickstarter campaign and we were able to raise um, $90,000. And then, you know, it took us about six months to do the build out, but it's a project that like, is for the community built by the community and like ran by the community. And so when we made the decision to close, it was based on the fact of like, how can we be socially responsible if we're encouraging this many people to gather in our space? Mm -hmm. Um, And then like, if we're looking out for the better good of our community, like we need to make tough decisions. A lot of my staff live in like multi-generational homes so there's just like the safety aspect for them and for their family. Just like a lot of the decisions that we make and we made are based on that. It's like it's family first, business right. second, community first, like food second. Um, and so like when we closed, we took a day to kind of just like reflect and then I could just foresee kind of what was going to be happening in the next couple of months and just like seeing all of my friends losing their jobs, losing their restaurants, losing kind of every, you know, a lot of things. And then seeing mm-hmm. these kids like without access to food anymore, 
you know, there's a lot of most, you know, students that, like with the within the Seattle public schools, like rely on breakfast and lunch and then yeah. being closed until, you know, question mark. It was just really hard to see. Yeah. So it's just like a natural decision for me to be like, okay, what do we do? What's the, the immediate mm-hmm. thing that we can do? Like, I know the risk, you know, like I'm not asking any of my staff to do this with me, but if they want to, they're able to volunteer. But it was just like, okay, we start making meals for the people. And we have a background, you know, like over the past four years, we've built relationships with a bunch of nonprofits in Seattle. And it's always just kind of working with food inequity or food education. Mm-hmm. So just kind of, it just felt like the natural step for us. So are you doing that seven days a week? Uh, we we did last week. We did it for six days, um, and in like starting this community kitchen idea, like there is a group of us that kind of emerged pretty quickly, um, which was Tarek, myself, and Christy Brown, um, mm-hmm. Shira, also from Hood Famous, mm-hmm. and it was you know we've we've all worked together in the past. We all work you know with a lot of the same nonprofits, and we were just like. How do we do this? What do we do? And we were able to mobilize pretty quickly. Um, We had the brick and mortar space, so it was a little bit easier for us to just like be able to kind of convert seamlessly within our system. Um, You know, Tarek was building resources, as was Christy. And so this week was the first week that we were able to kind of break it up by days. So how does Community Kitchen work? It kind of varies, I think, between the spots, but for us, um, it's everything is donation based at the moment. So people are donating food, people are donating money um, to be able to purchase food for for folks. You call into the restaurant and you just request how many meals that you need, um, mm-hmm. and if it's for pickup or delivery, um, and then there's no, we're not charging anything. And that's like a really big surprise for people, I think, especially right now. Yeah. But a lot of the folks that we've been able to feed, it's just like, there's just nothing but like gratitude, I guess. Of course, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, with Tarek and Christy, they're running the same model. It's just like, you can Venmo, you know, them. Um, and then you call or message them on their Instagram and they're able to provide meals and then no, there's no contact within the restaurant. Everything is curbside delivery. Do you feel like you've come to know a lot of the people um, that you're serving right now, or have you known them before? I think there's a couple of resources that we've <clears throat> we've had that we never kind of like plugged into. So we're serving folks in certain hospitals because of people that we know that work there. Because I think that's also like a sector that people don't realize is getting not neglected, but not necessarily taken care of. Um, mm-hmm. Like the people on the front line. Like, yeah. Um, so we've been consistently um, donating food to a couple of groups. Um, it's been really like widespread and diverse, like the, the requests. You know, there's a friend of ours who lives. Um, in the south end near Skyway and she comes like almost every day and picks up like 10 to 15 meals for families down there. Mm. Um, there's just been a lot of people that are like get, picking up meals for other people too. Um, we've been working with the Filipino Community Center. 
um, dropping off food to to them and their seniors and their volunteers as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like all over board, all over the board. You know, we've done a couple of deliveries to families that are unable to like leave their homes. So logistically, are you making the same thing every day? Um, we send like donations. We have a menu that we put out every day. I mean, it's about like three to four items. Um, mm-hmm. Usually a soup, a main, a vegetable, and then a starch. And then mm-hmm. we make the meals fresh every day. And right now we're serving anywhere between 100 to 200 people a day. Wow. Wow. That's wild. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And with, how was it? How quickly did that ramp up? Like, was demand on day one? Um. I mean, I think day one, we still ended up serving like 100 people. Mm. Wow. Um, okay. It, you know, it really just is kind of varying on the days. Like, uh, Saturday was a little bit slower. I, you know, I foresee it getting just like picking up based on, you know, the stay at home um, decree. I think just like a lot more people, especially within the restaurant industry as well, like, folks are not getting income besides unemployment if they're getting approved for unemployment. And so I think it's just going to get a little bit more difficult for folks. What's up with your team right now? Did you guys have to like let folks go or are they helping out with this project? Because we had to close our, my team currently is on standby for unemployment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's just my sous chef who's working with me. Um, We've been asking for donations on Venmo. And so people are kind of um, allotting. There's like three different categories that we requested folks to donate to. So it's staff relief, food donation relief, and then community fund relief. And Mm -hmm. so we're kind of holding on to those until like unemployment kind of settles and figures itself out. Because my staff had a lot of difficulty and not just my staff, but a lot of people in the industry um, because the offices were overwhelmed, you know, they mm-hmm. have yeah. so it's just been really difficult to see, see everyone, you know what I mean? Like navigating yeah. through this, a lot of them had never applied for unemployment before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's hard for all of us, especially like small business owners that like we, we never thought or imagined that we'd have to face this. And like, statistics are saying like 75 percent of the restaurants that were open before covid are not going to open after mm. and wow. it's just like there's so many layers to this you know like we talk about food inequity right now but like what is it going to look like three months from now six months from now mm-hmm. you know we're urging people to like act and like call senators call the legislator you know for business like bailout and not loans mm-hmm because we don't need any more loans you know mm-hmm. most Absolutely. of us taken money from our parents from our families from our savings like taking on loans just to like make these dreams happen and it's like how do we take care of each other after you know and yeah. like when we're talking about community kitchen like i urge you know whatever next generation of restaurant owners like this should be built into our business models you know what i mean like i hope that if we reopen, community kitchen's just going to be part of 
part of our business, you know, like mm-hmm. on Sundays, we know right. we're going to meal prep, we're going to meal plan and like still deliver food to those that need. Mm. So I saw this week too, that Seattle Restaurants United formed as a coalition. Yeah. Um, yeah. How so, did how did that come to be? And like, what's your role in that? I started talking to Francesca, who's my like social media marketing, like whiz. Shout and out I, to Fran. Yeah, Fran's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I like last week kind of just like got really angry about everything, you know, like really angry yeah. seeing friends having to close mm-hmm. businesses, really angry on like why people weren't making the right decisions. Like, why is this taking so long? Like, mm-hmm. and just like being angry about my staff being denied, you know, and then all this stuff. And my friend Jeannie connected with me. Jeannie works with uh, Renee Erickson at Sea Creatures. Mm-hmm. And she was like, hey, we're starting this petition. Like, we would really love you to be in, like, for you to be involved. And Fran and I had already been starting kind of something along those lines. So we just were like, okay, you know what? We'd be louder if we joined together. And then just between, like, our connections and resources and their connections and resources, like, we were able to spread it to, like, 100-plus restaurants. Wow. And this happened within, like, the span of three days. And I think, you know, it's just, like, all different forms of businesses, small, large, like, just being able to band together and, like, have a voice and being able to ask for the things that we, you know what I mean, are looking for or hoping for mm-hmm. after this is over. Like, I mean, the list is pretty significant of all the people that have joined, you know? It's amazing. So just to clarify, did you say that your staff was denied unemployment? They were originally denied. So... Wow. And how long how how long did that I mean a lot of people don't have a sense of like what's happening in the service industry so like how long did that process take for them to like apply and get told no That's the thing is like a lot of them tried to apply online and it was an immediate denial because Jesus. because they hadn't upgraded their systems yet Oh wow because they they changed certain rules for like standby um temporary etc and so of course like being an employee like you get denied and you're like what the hell yeah yeah worried and then like it took my manager like three or four days just to get through and so he's been helping folks like on facebook kind of just like talking people through processes if they have questions you know Mm -hmm. because i mean what people don't realize is like what the number i think they had said was three hundred and fifty thousand just in washington state restaurant industry without work yeah like what are we supposed to do you know and like they weren't equipped to handle that it takes about like a week and then every week you're supposed to check in and like for us you know like Inslee decreed until March 31st and then now it's April like it's really like what are we gonna do um and it's hard you know like we're we're trying to coach people if they can to do community kitchen work but we also understand like there's risks involved, obviously. Um, yeah. For us, like we've been very fortunate with the amount of donations that people have given us. Like we, we should be able to operate if this is what we hope to do, like for at least a month or two. Wow, that's amazing. But then after, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's rent, there's utilities. You know how much forgiveness is going to be granted? Um, it's crazy, and like. 
the thing that is hopeful is just like how our community is coming together, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what's important at the end of the day, like, and what we hope that like, other people are going to be able to see this as an example of like, hey, you know, like, we're working together, we're trying to figure out solutions, we're trying to like, be here and present for each other, as we always have been. But like, it's right. I don't want other people to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the coalition, um, as you all are coming together, what is the main target in terms of your advocacy? Like, are you looking at the city? Are you looking at the county? Are you looking at the state? Um, where is your energy really targeted right now? And how can folks help amplify that? I mean, I think right now, like, we're just trying to connect with the people that that are in need. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, as all these spaces are activating, like, Tark's able to work with his community. We're able to work with the Filipino community. But, like, there's so many other avenues and, like, how can we help? Right. You know what I mean? Like right. trying to find contacts within the Seattle public schools being like, if you need food, we have the food resources to do so. You know, there's a woman that comes every day and picks up about 20 meals and delivers them to the like homeless sites that she knows of. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like for us, another reason why we formed is because like we want to make sure that food is accessible every day of the week mm-hmm. right now. You know, like Tark's doing Monday through Friday. We're doing Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Christy's doing Wednesdays and Saturdays. And then our friend Cam is doing Fridays. But, like, there's also this other part that we've realized that, like, in order to feed people like this, we have to be rested as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we're trying to encourage all of, like, each other to be that way, too. So that's, like, a huge part. I think part of it is just like trying to activate places to serve different communities. Um, if there's someone that we're talking to that wants to open in West Seattle, there's someone who's located in Capitol Hill that's probably going to end up servicing Capitol Hill and downtown. I think we're just we're just all existing here just to try and feed you know feed people and in the only way we know how you know. Mm-hmm. Melissa, if you don't mind, if we could zoom out a little bit. Um, and talk about how you even got into cooking in the first place, like learning about your journey to how mm-hmm. you became a dope-ass chef would be really cool <laughs> to learn as well. Um, I think it's like it's crazy because I never thought that I would be here. But like right. I was talking to, to Jonah, who's my sous chef, and I was like, I couldn't see myself doing anything like anything else now. You know, like, if we're thinking, like, bigger picture, like, shit, like, what if the restaurant closes? What do we do? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I'd figure out a way to cook still. But um, I went to the University of Washington. And then when I was in college, I just, I started working in the restaurant industries. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, fell in love with that culture. Being able to meet and be exposed to people you never would meet before. The camaraderie. um, Mm just like the lessons that I learned within the restaurant industry were far greater than the ones that I even learned in college, which is crazy. Yeah. But I studied abroad when I was in college and I lived in Italy for three months. I just like fell in love with the culture. And when I graduated from the U, I ended up going back and living in Florence and teaching English. And then from there, my mom and I like had a serious conversation and it was like, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to get a your master's 
or like what's the what's the plan here and yeah. There was an incredible culinary school in Florence, and I just, like, I'd always enjoyed cooking growing up. Like, I cooked with my dad. I cooked with my grandma. And it just kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is something that, like, I could really love, right? Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to culinary school in Florence, and it just, like, became, like, second, kind of second skin, supernatural. Um, and then from there, like... I cooked in Italy for almost five years. I was in New York for two. And then when I came back to Seattle, um, I was driving down Beacon Avenue and I just like saw all the closures of the Filipino restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was pretty, pretty like devastating. <laughs> yeah. And like hard to see that the only place really that is was serving Filipino food was um, Tita Lila at Oriental Mart in Pie Place Market. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing pop-ups um, and the pop-ups were a way to like, just like give people the foundational knowledge of what Filipino cuisine is. You know, every menu that we did every month was a different menu. So people could just be exposed to like our flavors and our, like the names of our food and like just what it feels like to experience Filipino hospitality. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we just kind of, like built a critical mass and like found our community. You know what I mean? Like when I say community, I'm talking about like Shira from Hood Famous, Aaron Verzoza from Archipelago, um, the folks at Barcada in Edmonds. Um, there's just like such a strong Filipino community here and like young Filipino chefs that are yeah. just like driving the narrative and like really trying to push our food and our culture and so, you know, last year we did the Kickstarter, like I said, we found our location, we got funded and like we were able to open Musong. It's been like an pretty like a pretty incredible journey, I'd say. Yeah, your pop-ups were amazing. And I can speak on behalf of being one of the excited community members that it was really great when you were able to open your restaurant. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, you guys still had a line out the door and a wait every night, presumably before all this happened, right? Yeah, I mean, like, we, our last dinner service was a Friday, and it was still packed, you know, and like, yeah, it had already been like, an, you know, like, we'd already been experiencing COVID, you know, like, right, the restaurant industry had already been experiencing the effects of COVID. And like, you know, I was nervous, like, I was like, are we gonna see a like decrease in numbers, like, of guests, and like, people were still lining out the door. And like, so that decision was like, one of those that was just like, this is for the greater good, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. this doesn't mm-hmm. feel right, especially, you know, all the values that we talk about, especially, you know, how we were built and how we came up. But mm-hmm. I think there's also this, this, like, because of our heart and our desire to always put community first, like, I can only hope that like, whenever we reopen, like, I know folks are still super excited and supportive of whatever we end up doing, you know? It felt like you guys had the most momentum out of, like, any restaurant that I've seen in a really long time. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's cool to see that channeled into something that's, like, lifting up the community, but also, like, the community will, will hold you down. And Yeah. It just really showed, you know what I mean? Like, because we did have, like, a lot of hype. We had all this stuff. Like, all this press came out. And, like, the real ones knew, you know, and the real ones yeah. still know. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the part where it's just like when you want to talk about old Seattle, like that's that shit. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That week before we closed, it was like all of the people that like funded, donated, you know, like to the Kickstarter. And they're mm-hmm. just like, you know, like everyone else might be at home, but we know that we're going to be the ones that are going to support you through this. Looking at the folks that you partner with too, like that Brown Girl Cooks and Feed the People and Gritty Pizza Kitchen, like are all folks that represent community and communities of color yep. and have like those, you know, authentic relationships and genuine, like rooted deep in their community. Mm-hmm. And I wonder too, like, I know the the restaurant industry more broadly like you're you're dealing now in coalition with like a a much broader community of like restaurant owners like big and small and so I wonder like how that feels right now in terms of like organizing to like feed the people but also like coming with your approach to community and like coming with your approach to racial justice too and racial equity knowing that like small POC owned businesses and restaurants are gonna be impacted differently I mean I think that was like the last two weeks have been such like a mind you know like when I've been talking to Fran and like her and I are just like switching hats back and forth because it's like here we were trying to like do Musang Community Kitchen and yet also form Seattle you know Community Kitchen while we're also working on like the political aspect of like you know I had a really hard time in the beginning being like we're small and we're partnering up with these big restaurants. Like, are we, are we going to get misrepresented here? But just like talking with everyone and looking at all the different restaurants, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of POC small businesses on that, on that list too. And then also just like, we have to show solidarity in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, like it's been like learning for me because I only know the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. I've been working in the kitchen for like last 15 years. Um, so I, it's it's interesting and I, I only hope that like being able to have more access to these like dialogue dialogues and like conversations we can have just like to see how m- better we can be supported, I guess. Like I'm right. grateful for that. But it is hard, you know, I was talking to Sarah and I was like, we're, we're going to be on the front lines together. Like... This is our like livelihood. This is our community. And like if we have to be examples or show how we can lead the way, like now's the time, you know? It sounds like it's the very beginning of <laughs> of many broader conversations to come. And it also sounds mm-hmm. like you guys are just physically and emotionally exhausted and like really running yeah. with this and doing like important work. So yeah. We can't say thank you enough for like yeah. making such a big transition to your business like so quickly and like making it in a way that like you can really serve the community and people who need food. And it must be, yeah, it must be mm-hmm. just exhausting. So is there anything like that the community can do for you and for your staff who are volunteering their time currently to make sure that you guys are all getting the support that you need? I think, um, you know, and I think Tark, if I, if I can speak for Tark and Christy, it's just like, you know, we're all accepting donations. You can find it like on Instagram um, for each like group. 
but I think it's just like people are showing up with donations and it's really incredible and it's really humbling. Like today, one of my friend's parents um, like wrote us a check for our salary because we haven't been getting salary. And like the words, like I sat in my car and I cried for like 10 minutes. Mm. It's just like, we have to look out for each other. (laughs) And like as, as hard as I am, but like looking out for my staff, you know, like what, what can people do? People can donate donate you know for staff relief donate to like not just our funds but like there's a seattle hospitality fund that people can donate to really just like researching ways in order to help Um, because right now like we can't really accept volunteers Mm -hmm. you know like that's the catch of this too like so many people are donating time and we're like that's so awesome but like we can't allow anyone into our kitchen Mm -hmm. yeah you know like i think we've been encouraging people perishables we've been urging people to like connect with their community find out the needs like that's what we hope that people can do that they can take the extra step and like really search out for the areas of need that we can all kind of help to like feed you know like yeah if we're collecting non-perishables as well like each family that comes to pick up food we're giving them a bag of groceries too like this Mm. can be done in places Mm -hmm. like And as you're talking, you know, what's coming to mind for me is the lineage and like the shoulders that y'all are standing on while doing this work. I mean, our city has has come together before, right? Like the Panthers were able to do the free breakfast program and come and show up for community the same way that you all are. Um, So truly like in that revolutionary spirit, at the end of the day, it's always going to be us for us. Um, And you all are really exemplifying that in the best way. And so... Um, our city is really lucky to have incredible people like y'all continuing that legacy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm just grateful that there's people like Tarek and Christy, you know, like, and our friend Cam that are just like, mm-hmm. like-minded. We're just like really like-minded in a lot of ways. And like, how do we take care of each other? And then how do we like help other people? It's great. Like, I'm grateful to know that there's other folks out there like this. It's like it gives me hope because we work so hard, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you guys are having to adjust day by day to, like, the changing circumstances of the city and COVID. Are you planning for, like, when, like, the length of time that Governor Inslee, like, set for these, like, mandatory closures? Or are you expecting the closures to to go on longer and for the need to become greater. Like, I hate to say it, but I'm expecting it to be longer. And I know that the need's going to be greater. Like, and it's, it's hard to say those words, but just like, I have friends that live in Italy, you know, that I'm in contact with right now. And they are a couple weeks ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And they're taking it very seriously, you know, with mandatory quarantine. I just don't foresee it. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of recklessness in people's behaviors out there. Mm-hmm. Um, just like not, like just disregard to like the safety and like the community aspect, right? Mm-hmm. That I just like, I, you know, I wanna say that it'll probably be done by this date, but I don't, I don't think so. And so what does that mean for like the community kitchen and the collective? It's like, we see how long we can do this, you know, like Mm -hmm. we have enough product and like we have enough within like 
financial donations to be able to do this for a while. I just like, you know, I think if it has to grow, like we'll get more delivery drivers. We'll, you know, we'll figure out systems between like the four groups and as it grows too. And as we add more, like how we can fill that need. You know, I think earlier I touched like, what does that look like if we're talking about a future solution, like restaurants and businesses integrating at least one day a week where they're offering some kind of community outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it can't just be like one and done, you know, like people mm-hmm. need to be like integrated into like the thought of sustaining, you know, like sustaining our community and supporting it. In terms of like relationships that you've built with the community um, that you already had because you were so involved in the community before the COVID crisis. And I know like I got to eat with you through like some with the skipped a dinner, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which was cool. I, I also I'm curious like what new relationships you've built in this process and like what some of like the big learning has been for you about like sustaining this into the future even after we're out of crisis um i think a great connection i think that we're building um currently is green plate special um they're a plot in this central district i believe um and they work with children um and in their community as well just like teaching farming techniques and um, educating folks on sustainability and farming. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just got introduced to them and we're seeing like what an ideal partnership could look like. You know, they've been bringing us produce to use mm-hmm. and they've been donating it to us like for meals, um, you know, like thinking about how we might be able to activate their space. But I don't know. I think there's just like, getting also down to that farmer level and making connections in that sense of how do we make sure we're supporting them because they're also hit by this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the people like in the collective I've known for a while and we've worked together. So that wasn't very new. Um, and for talking about like the restaurants coalition, you know, I've been fortunate having worked here for the last couple of years to have like really incredible relationships with a lot of folks in other restaurants. So it's just nice to see how like when, you know, unfortunately in, in a time of crisis, like we're all able to come together because we, we know we have to look out for each other. But I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I hope that like these partnerships continue to, to grow and you know, we work with Feast. I don't know if you're familiar with them. We Hell work yeah. With Start. Yeah, like, yeah. I only hope that the restaurants can follow suit, you know, like, and actually, like, yeah. get to know the people behind it. And, like, especially, like, these smaller nonprofits, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's really, I've worked with Feast for years now, and it's, like, incredible watching, like, how it's grown. Mm-hmm. Um but there's there's so many more ways we can be connected and i hope that out of this like we can be you mentioned that 70% of restaurants right now might not be able to recover from the crisis and open their doors again as a small business and like a woman of color who opened a filipino restaurant on beacon hill where there used to be a lot more filipino restaurants and now you're one of the only ones or the only one standing um, 
in terms of like the advocacy work that you're doing, what specifically do you need and do other POC small businesses and restaurants need in order to make sure that they can survive the crisis? It's so tough. I think it's tough because like each business, like what did you put into the business, right? And I know most POC small business owners have put a lot of things on the line for for themselves, right? I mean, I can look at how we're operating and it's just like we have an open dialogue with our with our landlord, just kind of seeing like how they can help us um, in this time, you know, like we were smart and we were able to like make the decision to temporary close sooner than a lot of restaurants. And like that helped us. I just like with costs, you know what I mean? Like we have a little bit of savings in, in, in order for when we reopen that we have working capital again. Um, Cause that's something too, that a lot of people don't understand that like, these restaurants have closed and then like in order to reopen again, you need working capital, you need inventory. Like, mm-hmm. It's been really hard to see friends like try the takeout route and it doesn't work, you know, like when that's like the only thing that they can do to save the business. I think it's just like right now we have to wait it out, make sure that we're checking our resources, making sure that we're applying for grants, making sure that we're calling so we can, you know, try and receive funds after this you know contacting your banks or the folks that you've done lending with to see if you can get deferred payments um i don't know it that the future is like super unforeseeable and it's hard you know we just like are trying to give hope right but i mean like i think one big thing is like if and when we do come out of it like when all you know like i hope our businesses reopen like the people that can support like support and show up, you know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's folks out there that are, you know, still have jobs working from home that like, when we come out of it, like don't revert to just taking out, but like go out and support your businesses and your people. So Melissa, I know you probably had a really hard day, um, but we have this game that we play on our podcast. Um, and if you would indulge okay. us with this game, <laughs> um, it, it might bring a smile to your face. So the game is called, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the game is called Zaddy Daddy Father. And okay. essentially what you're doing is you are ranking three things in order of Zaddy, Daddy, and Father. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you know the definitions of those words or... Do you need us to break it down for you? Or give me examples. <laughs> I will use my don't favorite use, example. Don't use that example, Aretha. <laughs> if you use the full house example, I am storming off this podcast. <laughs> okay, then you have to give the example because that's what I was going to use. <laughs> okay, fine. I think Rihanna is a zaddy. Okay. okay, okay. Beyonce okay. is a daddy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a father is who's <laughs> a father? Shania Twain. Shania Twain is a father. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Definitely. So, okay. This is this is kind of a hot take, but like Beyonce could also kind of be a father. 
We don't have time for that yeah, today, so. Chrissy. <laughs> what Beyonce? I just feel like Beyonce is like so disciplined. Beyonce is gonna make sure there's food on the table, but she's also gonna make sure that you stick to your bedtime. Like there's like father vibes from Beyonce. She's a Virgo, the Virgin sign. <laughs> no, like Beyonce is not a square. Like anybody who is a father is a square. I just think it might depend on the lineup, but but Beyonce could be a father. But in that one, she's the daddy. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, enough of this hullabaloo. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the game. <laughs> so okay. your three options that I would like you to rank in order of Zaddy Daddy Father. Food edition. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Mm. We're going to go with spices. Okay. The best okay. spices. So your choices are paprika, uh huh, um, turmeric, okay, and garlic. Oh man, mm. three for a loop with that garlic, huh? <laughs> garlic would be my zaddy. Ooh, yep. turmeric would be my daddy, and paprika would be my father. Hmm. Ooh, can you talk about the rationale? If I'm like comparing it to your example with Rihanna, garlic is like the thing that I use the most <laughs> and is the best. Yes. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I love that garlic yeah. is like not overrated. Like oh I feel God, like that no. gives me no. great joy to know that your garlic is your zaddy. Like really, I would. Yeah, turmeric is just like on occasion but like is also mm-hmm. like it's still like essential and like yeah like it, it can be a little it. sexy yeah it's it kind of sexy special you know yeah paprika i just it's just it's not <laughs> it doesn't bring me joy <laughs> marie kondo <laughs> said no that would be those would be my three that that's how i'd rank it (laughs) all right everybody thank you so much for listening please be safe and take care of yourselves and your family and your community and remember that through this process we have all learned that nothing's more important than the relationships that we have with each other and um like and share the podcast give us five stars and a rating and um yeah tune in next week we'll be here with more and stay the fuck home